How can we be more resilient? Resilience is the power to weather the ups and downs that this world gives us. That sounds like a very attractive trait to have right now. How can we grow in our own resilience, in our own spiritual resilience? Well, in this story, in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are on one of their missionary journeys. In fact, this is their first missionary journey. Paul goes on to three really big ones. This is the first big one that he goes on. They're traveling to multiple cities. Sometimes people are down with what they're saying. Sometimes people do not want to hear them. Sometimes people are trying to kill them and throw them out of their cities and stone them to death. And, the, and when people do finally get them, they're not actually completely understood. So they don't, they're not, people aren't really getting it. And the highs and the lows, Paul and Barnabas are resilient. And how was Paul able to weather not just this journey, but to have the energy to go on not one, but two more similar like this. Paul and Barnabas are resilient. They have a spiritual resiliency. And having resiliency in our spirit, in who we are, allows us to be a part of something bigger than we would have otherwise. It, it gives us that, that energy to be able to keep on going, to be able to be of something, be part of something bigger. Now, for most of us, probably all of us actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we can't help but naturally be controlled by our circumstances. That's kind of how we are. If things are good, then we're good. If things aren't good, then we aren't good. That means we're kind of enslaved to what the world throws at us. It's, it's a reactive life. We're always reacting to if the world is good or not, or if other people are good or not, or if this person has a problem with me or not. I don't want to live that way. I want to be, I want to be freed from having to, to live that way. Now, some might say the answer to that kind of freedom is to rid ourselves of desires to begin with. The fact, the problem is that we care too much, some might say. And so in order to be free, we have to remove ourselves of the desire for other things or for other people or for our other relationships. And that might give us a freedom. In fact, it probably will give us a freedom. But what kind of freedom is it? There's all sorts of kinds of freedom. What kind of freedom? One that sounds to me like a dead freedom. I want my cake and I want to eat it too. And maybe you're like this too. I want to be freed from circumstances, freed from other people's thoughts of me or even from other people's relationships, but I also want to, I don't want to care less or, or, or desire less. I want to care more. I want to work more for other people. I want to simultaneously care for others more deeply than I do now and also not be tied to others' view of me as much as I am now. I think that's possible because I think that's how the Bible tells us to live. I don't want to be enslaved by others. In fact, in that if I can only be okay if they're okay, but I should also really want to work for their good. And, and I should want them to flourish. And if they go through problems, I should be burdened with problems too. But not in a way that enslaves me or that completely determines how I'm going to be. How can we live this way? It's only through Jesus that we can deeply care for others. So deeply we'd be willing to give our life for others and not be tied to our circumstances to be able to live in freedom. Now, that kind of freedom, if it exists, if you get to participate in that, that's a living freedom. That's something alive. That's something that people will get excited about and will want to be a part of. This is the Christian life. And when people talk about living out the gospel, that's what this means. We'll get to that in a bit. We can be experiencing, in our own personal lives, we can be experiencing victory or defeat. And we will. And many of us are experiencing both of those now. We can be experiencing victory or defeat on the outside and still 
have a life of consequence, have a life of meaning, have a life of freedom and love. And uh, we can be spiritually resilient. And that's what Acts 14 tells us. Living the gospel in defeat and victory is what Acts 14 is all about. That's one aspect of spiritual resiliency. So what does this mean, living the gospel? Because that sounds really churchy at first. We're going to take that up, take these in two sections. Living the gospel, then in defeat and victory. What does it mean to live the gospel? This churchy thing. Well, first, the gospel is, what is it? It's a message. The gospel is a me- It literally means good news. So it's some kind of news, some kind of message, some kind of information. It's a message that when you hear it, you're like, wow, actually, that sounds pretty good. It strikes you. It's not something that's burdensome. It's not something that feels like chains. It's something that feels like freedom. Something that feels good. Now look at the verses uh, 15 through 17 here. I'm just going to read them. It says, friends, why are you doing this? Because basically uh, Paul and Barnabas are um, speaking in Lystra and they, they heal someone and people are like, wow, these, these guys, they must be gods. So we're going to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas are not down for that because they want people to worship Jesus. And here's what they say. Uh, we too are only human, just like you. So we're not we're not anything special, just like you. We are bringing you, it says, good news. Verse 15, we're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. To turn from worthless things to the living God is what good news is all about. Telling us to turn, uh, turn from worthless things to the living God. So let's talk about that message itself for a second. If we are basing decisions on things that aren't true, or things that maybe they might be true but aren't worth very much, that will be a problem if our decisions are based on that. And it would be good for us to be helped out of that problem. It would be good for someone to point that out, to say, you know what, that's actually kind of worthless, or that thing is not even true. Now, more than that, to give something something better to spend our lives on, that would really be good news. That would truly be good news if that was real, if that was true. It would be good. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing here in Lystra. They're telling the people there, then, and also now through the Bible, we get to hear the same message. We continue to get to hear this. Stop spending your precious lives on things that are not worth it. You are obsessing and focusing your lives on things that are far too small. The only way to not waste your life, because you're worth so much, you are worth so much, your life is. The only way to not waste that life that you have is to find your life in the living God, in Him, in God Himself. That's their basic message. Every time we spend more money, more attention, more time to things that aren't worth all those things, we end up in a deficit. We end up in a deficit. We want security and meaning for ourselves, and so we focus on our careers. But has that stopped your anxiety or worry? If anything, it's probably heightened them. So it's not really getting you the thing that maybe you thought you were trying to get to begin with. If you want comfort so you don't put yourself out there and don't risk anything, the comfort we're going to have is never going to be enough in that way. Every part of us that isn't attuned to the Lord will be in a deficit because the Lord is the living God. The Lord is the living God. So anything that's less than that isn't worth our time, isn't worth our souls. Only the living God can give and give and give and give like a spring over and over and over, bubbling over with too much to be able to give. Only the living God can give us what we need. We need these things. And that transforms our deficits to surplus. 
And this is what Paul and Barnabas are talking about. He's saying, you are living in a deficit of life, going to the same things that are just going to give you more of a deficit. How about trying the surplus? Turn from those worthless things to the living God. So that means in our career, we don't kind of shrink back from it, but we get the freedom then to work harder than we did before and the freedom to have our security and meaning tied to something bigger than a job. That actually frees you to do your job better. That frees you to be better in your career. Our eyes get to look higher than merely horizontal. We can risk, that means. That means we can live ordinary lives uh, on the outside and have meaning and security going on in the inside. We can have a living freedom if we're connected to a living God. That's what God gives us. And the message is that this is possible for us because of what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection for us. It's always tied to Jesus. Jesus on the cross took away all of our obsession with worthless things. And this is true if you follow Jesus. This is true if you don't follow Jesus. We all have a tendency to set our eyes on, on things that really aren't worth as much as they should be. And Jesus took away our obsession for that, our desires for those things. And when he rose again, he connected us to the living God. So if you follow Jesus... This is you, disconnected from those worthless things, reconnected to the living God, no longer bound to those worthless things. That means we don't have to, that those things don't determine how our lives go. We're connected to the living God. We were once missing out, not anymore. And if that isn't you and you're interested in that, this is what the gospel message is. That's what Christianity is. It's not about doing good things or being nice to people, although hopefully we do good things and we're nice. Ultimately, it's about something much bigger than that. That's the gospel message. Anyone can get in on this. That's what, that's what the gospel message is. And if this is who we are, we must live it out. To say this is who we are and to not live it out is basically just religious hypocrisy. And we all know what that's like. Whether you're in the church or outside the church, no one is a fan, thankfully no one is a fan, of religious hypocrisy. And if that's you, if you find yourself, yeah, I'm a little bit of a, re- a religious hypocrite, um, thanks for being honest with yourself, because you are, and, and so am I. And you know what? It's not like that's the end and God says, okay, I'm going to move on to the next thing. That's okay. What we get to do is we get to bring that to God and ask him to change us. He, he, he will change us. He does that over time. Tell God you're sorry and begin to change your life. Ask him to work through you to change your life. And here are two things you need to have in order to live out the gospel. This section is called living the, gospel, living the Gospel. These are two things that we need to have in order to live this out. Effective words and empowered actions. We're going to take a look at these two things briefly. Effective words and empowered actions. So first, effective words. In verse 1, it says that Paul and Barnabas spoke so effectively that a number of Jews and Greeks believed. They spoke effectively. They didn't let go and let God, which, by the way, is not in the Bible. I can maybe understand the sentiment behind it, but... It's just not like a a biblical thing to just be like, you know what? We just don't need to work and God will just work. Like, that's not true. That's just not true. To speak effectively like Paul and Barnabas did, the way the Bible tells us to, requires hard work, requires lots of work. Now, we don't depend on ourselves first. We depend on the Spirit to work through us. And maybe that's what the don't let go like God thing is about. Um, But they worked hard to make sure their words made sense. To be effective, your words have to make sense. Your words have to be persuasive. Your words have to be empathetic and and be other-focused. Your words have to be honest. They have to be true. Being effective is difficult work in your words. That's, That's difficult work. It's hard work, and it's meaningful work. And this is what Paul and Barnabas were about. You don't just kind of blab something and hope it works. 
you work at it. Verse 3 talks about um, their boldness. They, uh, uh, they spoke boldly for the Lord. So effective words are bold words. Saying something that halfway represents what you really believe and think doesn't really do any good. Speaking half-heartedly isn't going to win anybody over to what might be gloriously true. And you might be doing it because in the name of humility, but it's probably because you feel uncomfortable. And that's just not going to help anyone. That's not going to help you actually communicate what you truly believe. And it's not going to help the other person who you're speaking to uh, to get what you actually want them to know. So speaking half-heartedly, though it's a shortcut we kind of try and take, is not how the Spirit works. He always works through boldness. And we've heard this before. Of We know that the boldness in our speech does not come from us. Because oh, we've been through Acts now, I don't know how many weeks now, a lot of weeks. And every time someone speaks with boldness, it comes from the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit. I mean, one example, Acts 4.31. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and what did they do? They spoke the Word of God boldly. Being filled with the Spirit isn't first an emotional state for us, isn't first um, uh, something like a feeling that we get when we sing a song first for us. Being filled with the Spirit in Acts, time after time after time again, being filled with the Spirit is the power and the energy and that resiliency to be able to communicate the gospel to other people. It's an evangelistic gift. That's what being filled with the Spirit is about. Now, without the Spirit working in what we say, we cannot expect to be bold or effective. We shouldn't expect that. But if we don't say anything, then we also can't can't expect to be effective or bold. If we care about others more than ourselves, and that's an aspect of being empowered by the Spirit, if we care about other people more than we care about ourselves, that allows us to go beyond our walls of self-protection and into lives of dependence on God to work, on Him to work through us. So that's effective words. There's effective words and empowered actions. Living the gospel means effective words. It also means empowered actions. A man who wasn't able to walk on his own was healed. That's amazing. That's a miracle. Paul and Barnabas took time with him. They saw him. He's marginalized. He's poor. He's one of the outcasts of society. And they took time with him. They prayed with him. And this man who had never walked, ever, jumped right up. And apparently the miracle, not just of healing his legs, but the miracle of being able to walk right away happened at the same time. How amazing is that? It does not fit into our normal experience of life. This isn't an everyday kind of activity, which is why we call it a miracle. And like, this is not how life works. It's a miracle. It's not a disruption to how the world uh, is so much as it's the world being set right as it should be. No one should be lame. Everyone should be able to walk and to be able to jump around. And that's what miracles are all about, setting the world right in crazy kind of ways. A person in need of healing was healed. He was made whole. He was incomplete before. Part of him was, was, wasn't working right. It was missing. And this is living the gospel. We get wholeness, and we extend that offer of wholeness to others. But of course, in here in, uh, in Acts 14, the people immediately misinterpret the message, as people do, And they think that it's worth following Paul and Barnabas, not Jesus himself. So actions by themselves will never be interpreted rightly. And we see this over and over again. This happens also in Jesus' ministry. He doesn't just heal people and not say anything. He heals people and explains it through his parables, through his sermons, through his, his words. So we can't just do a thing and expect someone to get it. I mean, what's the point of the action after all? Look at verse 3. 
what's the point of actions? Verse 3 says, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there in one of the cities, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The signs and wonders that are miraculous and the things that people are like, whoa, that's crazy and are attracted to, they confirm the message. They're subordinate to the message. The message is the priority. And the action bolsters that message. It builds it up. The actions speak to the power of the words, the reality of the words. The miracles, as amazing as they are, are not the main thing. It's all about that message, that wonderful, glorious message. A man who has never walked before and is now jumping around in the air, walking around, that's what it's like for us, to those who formerly chase after worthless things, kind of be broken, not being complete, now to be won over and follow the living God. And there's a, a glorious joy that comes into our lives that bubbles up and we can't help but now jump around and be excited about it. And, uh, and we, we couldn't walk before, now we can walk, so that, then we will walk. We don't go back to being someone who, 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 who pretending to not walk anymore. And for those who are connected to this living God, we are to concern ourselves, the same way Paul and Barnabas did, with the marginalized, the needy, the poor. Now sometimes this is going to be the materially poor, which is why we do things like partner with Reach Out to the Community. Uh, sometimes that means spiritually poor, maybe one of your neighbors. So many people are in need of help right now. Normal things like getting groceries become seemingly miraculous feelings. Uh, getting, getting groceries, these are things that we can be doing for people who are in need. There are needy people all around us. All of a sudden, everyone got elevated to needy when this crisis hit. Let's be sure that our actions that we're doing for others, and I love getting to hear these actions from all of you at Redeemer, all the things that we get to do, let's make sure that our actions are confirming the gospel message, confirming our words. Now, that doesn't mean we have to give some kind of like Christian disclaimer, like, I'll help you, but I want you to know I'm doing this because Jesus... You don't have to do that like every single time. You don't, don't be the weird Christian and, and kind of have, a, have those kind of things. But it does mean that we will have to work hard at using effective words. We need to be bold in our speech. We need to be effective in, in how we're speaking. That means persuasive. That means we need to think about it. And more importantly, that means we need to pray about it. Not just pray ahead of time for when these things will happen, but pray while it's going on. Ask the Spirit, ask the Spirit to make those um, openings happen. Because here's the thing. A silent church will always be interpreted as a spiritually impotent church. A silent church is a spiritually impotent church. It tells others, if we're doing good actions and not really following it up with words, that tells others that Christianity is about being good or being nice. And that's a horrible lie that needs to go back to hell from where it came from. That is not what Christianity is. That's the opposite of Christianity. And that's also what people think Christianity is, generally. They think it's about being nice. That's horrible. That is, that's chains. That is not life. That's not joyful. And the only way we can deconstruct that belief, that hellish belief, the only way we can deconstruct that is by using words. Now, I've heard it said, and I think it was probably John Stott, that words and deeds are like wings on a plane. You need both to get off the ground. You need both to actually fly effectively. And just having one kind of leaves you going around in circles. Words and no deeds, if we're just saying things and not actually following through with how we live, that's a religious elitism. We believe good things in our heads, but don't really live them out in our lives. That's very selfish. Deeds and no words makes for a benign niceness. We do good things, but in our hearts we don't truly believe them. 
not enough really actually to impact the words that we use on a daily basis. This also is selfish, though on the outside it might look, you know, humble. It's not. This passage teaches us that a living freedom comes from deeds and words connected together. A church that gets this, no matter the size, a church that gets that, that's a vibrant thing for people inside the church and for the community that that church is in. That's a vibrant thing for words and actions like these to be connected to each other as we serve the living God. So that's living the gospel. Living the gospel. Now, what are the contexts of living this gospel? Well, the second point is we live this gospel in defeat and victory. We live the gospel in defeat and victory. Living this way, living the gospel, is possible through defeat and victory because our life, our joy, our meaning is not ultimately tied to the ups and downs of life. We get to be resilient as we follow Jesus. It's something that the Spirit gives us, something that Jesus through His Spirit gives us. And this means circumstantial defeat, with air quotes, is not real defeat. And that also means circumstantial victory is not true victory. It's not real victory. There's something deeper that goes on. Sometimes, actually, victory is a bad thing. Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. They heal a man, which is amazing, and they are preaching the good news, and people are misinterpreting it, wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas. On the outside, it would be like, hey, that's a pretty good victory. Actually, it's not a victory if people are worshiping Paul and Barnabas. We want people to worship Jesus. We don't want people to think Redeemer is great or the church is great. We want people to know that Jesus is great. That's what we want people to be enamored with. So how can we be resilient when people think too good of us and when people think too bad of us? What does that look like? Well, there's that saying, uh, winning the battle and losing the war, or the opposite, both which are true, uh, uh, losing the battle and winning the war. That's kind of what's going on here. Look at verse uh, 22 in chapter 14. Verse 22 says, uh, the end of verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Man, how's that for a uh, super joyous, life-exalting verse? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it may not be super positive, but I'll tell you one thing, it's honest. We will go through many hardships. We all will. It's exactly what all of us will go. But here, here's the thing. With God, this is true. Without God, this is also true. We will all go through many hardships. All of us are going to go through difficult times, hard, difficult times. What sets Christians apart from anyone else? How are we different in any of these ways? What advantage is there for us who follow Jesus? If Jesus is better than these worthless things, which sometimes doesn't feel like it, if Jesus is supposedly better than these, like why? what, what is the better part? What is it? Well, we get to be strengthened and we get to be encouraged. This is resilience. So let's look at verse 22 again. Um, Now let's look at the first part, the way it's actually written. Uh, This is what Paul and Barnabas are doing, going back through uh, the churches, strengthening, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now we've heard this before, strengthening and encouraging to remain true. This has come up before. And so when we hear uh, the author repeat himself, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Strengthened and encouraged. We get to be strengthened. I need to be strengthened. Whether I'm in difficult times or not, I need to be strengthened. When we're in difficulty, we're tempted to give up. To tempt, we're tempted to give in to, the, to those worthless things. Because when we're in difficult places, we don't believe that Jesus is actually the better thing because he doesn't seem to be delivering it in the moment because we're very impatient. And so we go to all those worthless things. 
whatever that we all have them and we all have them and we go to them. I mean, you've been stuck at home. Okay. How will you emerge after like lockdown measures are lifted a bit? Will you emerge more of an alcoholic? Will you emerge more of a porn addict? Will you emerge more of an overwhelmed Netflix binger? Will you emerge more bitter, more worried, more cynical than before? I, I run by this this mirror multiple times a week, um, and on the top of it says, A great northern lifestyle, and the mural itself is, This too shall pass. And I don't know if they planned that juxtaposition, but what we see, this is circumstantial victory and defeat going on, all in one image. Circumstantial victory, a great northern lifestyle. Circumstantial defeat, knowing that we're in this pandemic, asking this too shall, like hearing, wanting to hear from someone of authority, this too shall pass. Who's going to tell us this will pass? This pandemic one day will pass. One day it will be. And as will all those who experience the great northern lifestyle, whatever that might be. All of it will pass. All of our circumstantial victory, all of our circumstantial defeat will all pass. And in the end, we all experience defeat. All of us. Now, what we get for those who follow Jesus is we get something better than worthless things. And there are countless others we could list, no doubt, that we already have. We get God himself. We get God himself. God himself is actually the one who says this too shall pass. Not just some artist, not just some politician, not just some preacher, some American pastor. This too shall pass. We get God himself telling us that. And we get to be encouraged. We get to be strengthened. We get to be encouraged. Encouraged to remain true to the faith, that source of life that we all yearn for. When we're tempted to drink from rancid mud puddles, we get to have God put his courage in us and remain there. To be encouraged means to get courage from somewhere that's not within. You can't look within yourself to be encouraged. You need to be outside yourself to have that courage being put in. To go through hardships while being strengthened and encouraged is difficult enough. Why would you go through the ups and downs of life without God, without this strength, without the encouragement that we need, that we're made for, without someone with some authority who knows what he's saying, saying, this too shall pass. We need that. Now, none of this is easy. Of course, it's not easy. No one ever said it was easy. Paul and Barnabas, they have to call people. And if God, to, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to remain true to the faith... If God has to call us to do, a, to do a thing, we can infer that we don't get there naturally. We don't drift there normally. So let's not be naive about our faith. Let's not be blasé about our faith. We need the word. We need prayer. And we need others. God save us from our prideful individualism of doing this life on our own. We're so prone to do that. We don't actually really connect with other people. And if we do, it's very kind of out of distance. I mean, can we please just be honest when we feel defeated? I would love that. I think other people might like that too. I know it's not a very British thing to do, but we aren't creating British culture. We're not creating American culture. We're creating, we're joining in actually with gospel culture, something different. So it is going to be difficult sometimes, but it's going to be better. And a gospel culture is one that is honest with our defeat. 
Because it doesn't ultimately rest with us, it rests with God to come through for us. And this honesty invites others to strengthen, to encourage. And we get to strengthen and encourage others. And this is why the church exists. The main way that God works is through his church. We see it in the Bible over and over and over again. We see it uh, in our own lives over and over again. If you are a Christian and not connected to a church, and I mean like relationally connected, not like taking off a box of being a member or not like showing up for stuff, but connected as a family member is connected, then you're missing out. You're not living the way that God's calling you to live. And that's how you get strengthened and encouraged, is to be connected deeply with others who are going to strengthen and encourage you. You probably need it more than you think. Now, if you say, I don't really want to put my burdens on others, do you think you can carry them yourself? Are you really that prideful? I don't think so. I'm sorry, but that's pride masquerading as humility. If you say, well, nobody will really understand me, Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I, don't, I, I can't predict how it's going to be in the future. But by not living an open life in close relationships with others, you are guaranteeing that you will never be understood. It will be impossible for anyone to ever understand you. We need to live the gospel, which is word and deed, what we do, what we say. And if we don't do these things, we will be weak disciples. We'll be discouraged disciples. And we won't remain true to the faith. Because we will constantly be having those ups and those downs. And through the church, we get that resilience from others. So what does this mean for us now? Well, it means connecting with others more than watching a video, for one. Uh, If the only way you're connected to Redeemer right now is through watching our videos online, I am really glad that you are. And that might have been like a massive step for you in order to even just kind of sit through this and to learn more about it. We're really glad that you're watching this with us. Actually, we pray for you. We may not even, we don't know your name. We don't know who you are, where you're from, but we are praying for you every single week. There is a community of people who are praying for you. But right now, your experience of the church is almost 1%. It's almost 1% of the church. See, the church is a set of relationships, and relationships can't happen through just a video. Relationships um, live the gospel in defeat and victory. If we only uh, live our relationships through victory, then that's kind of that's not really real relationships. We have to live our relationships through defeat and victory, and that just kind of can't happen through video. Now, this doesn't mean you have to overhaul your life completely overnight. And this also know that this is never a finished project. All of us are growing in this. All of us can be, need to be, ought to be strengthened and encouraged more. And the question for you watching this is this. What's the smallest step forward you can take? What's the smallest, tiniest step forward that you can take? Take that small step, whatever it might be. Think of the smallest step, the simplest step, and do that. If you keep doing that, that's what it means to live the gospel over time. That's what it means to live the gospel in defeat and victory over time. That's what it means to follow Jesus over time. So it's just a series of super, super baby small steps that in themselves do not seem significant, but when stacked on top of each other over years, over decades, it becomes much more significant. The more we follow Jesus on his path, we put ourselves farther away from the path of worthless things. And that's really good for us because we're going to be prone to go after those worthless things. But the more we follow Jesus on his path, the farther away we get from all the things that are going to sap our energy and put us in that deficit. That's a good thing for us. But it doesn't happen if we don't take steps. We need to take those small steps to be able to go. And through that, we get to be spiritually resilient, come what may.
Now, for you, that might be asking someone to pray for you. Or it might be just saying, like, uh, maybe I'm praying with somebody. There's a very easy way you can do that. We set up a website for you to even just kind of input the information, and we can just communicate through email or through text or however way that you feel most comfortable right now to communicate. You can go to RedeemerMCR.com slash prayer, and we will pray for you, whatever it is. And there's also a place in there, if you need help with something, we would love to be able to help in whatever we can, however we can. So it might be just that small step of having someone pray for you, which if you've never had someone pray for you, let me tell you, it is an amazing blessing to know that someone else isn't just like thinking of you, but is going to the living God on your behalf. We don't always feel like we can pray and we need others to be able to pray for us. I know that from going through personal times, hard times myself, and I'm sure um, you would get that same kind of uh, blessed experience. Another thing might be to try out a missional community during the week. Um, mission, you see these videos and, and uh, maybe even watching these videos for a bit and you need to be strengthened and encouraged throughout the week not just in this kind of 30 minute little video a way to do that you can just go to redeemermcr.com slash live if you're not there already click the little sign up button and we can be in touch you'll get an email uh, each week about how to get more connected to God and to others during this time you'll get info on that now if you're already part of an MC I love you because you are Redeemer. That is Redeemer. If you're already part of a missional community, you are what Redeemer is. That's what Redeemer is, is a combination of missional communities working together. Let's lean more into our relationships that we have. Uh, and maybe you're in a core group, and you can. that's it's another chance to be able to lean into that. It doesn't mean you need to set up a, a Zoom call. It doesn't mean you need to set up like a phone call. You can just text messages saying you're praying for each other, or Bible verses when they come up in your reading. Here's the thing. Don't be content with just kind of showing up and wanting to be poured into all the time. It's very easy now. We're all tired. I get it. I totally get it. We're all tired, and being tired means we're going to just be more passive. But if we're all passive, then it just kind of doesn't work. That's not what the church is. The church isn't about something us getting something. It's about giving to others. And here's the crazy thing. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in physics. The more we give to others... Actually, the more we get to be encouraged and strengthened ourselves. It's crazy how that works, but it's how God works in his kingdom. Maybe uh, you could pick one person in your MC and pray for them. Tell them you're praying for them. And just once a day, do like a 30-second prayer for that person and let them know. Who are you messaging? If you're not messaging anyone in your MC, you're missing out on relationship. If you're not kind of right, just pick one person and do it like once a week. I don't know, whatever the smallest step might be for you. Tell them you're praying for them. Be honest with where you're at with them and and be ready to be encouraged to remain true to God. That's what we're called to do together. So hear me in this, though, regarding our missional communities, for those of us who are in them. There are people in your missional community that God has designed for you to strengthen and encourage. You might be like, oh, I'm not good enough. Well, nobody is. No one's good enough. Like, I need to be in a better place myself. Sorry, like you're just not guaranteed to ever be in a better place. What the Spirit gives us is the ability to strengthen and encourage others regardless of our state. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't talk about the difficult, our own difficulties and when we're in bad places. We should talk about those things. But that doesn't stop us from strengthening and encouraging others. If you need strength and encouragement now in your MC and you haven't told anybody yet, what are you doing? That's why we have missional communities, for you to be able to talk about these things. 
You don't have to tell the whole entire group. Just message one person. Say, will you pray for me? You don't even have to go through the details. Whatever the smallest, simplest step is for you, please take it, because that's what it means to follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus by staying passive. We don't follow Jesus by staying in the same spot. It's a movement. It's action. We have to do stuff in order for other stuff to happen. And don't wait till you're good enough, because you never will be. And what we get to do is not rely on us and how good we are. We get to rely on the Holy Spirit and how good He is for us. I mean, the whole thing that we have on our Acts book, the, the front of your Acts book is power to live on Jesus' mission. That's not you having the power. That's the Holy Spirit's power working in you to live on Jesus' mission. And part of His mission for you is to strengthen and encourage others in your MC. And if everyone is doing that, that also means everyone is being poured into, is being strengthened, is being encouraged themselves. That's what we make these things for. So what is your small step? Think about that. On a final note, do you want to know what happens when a group of people get together and follow Jesus in these small steps? The story tells us. It's crazy. The church will advance. Verse 23 I'm just going to read it here. Verse 23 says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, multiple churches, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they'd have put their trust. Now that little verse is kind of like, oh cool, like organization of the church. What's happening here is the church is advancing. New churches in multiple cities are being planted. And this is against oppression, against the Roman government, against the really religious Jews who don't like Christians, against the people there who are pursuing worthless things. New churches are planted. That's good news for other people. Spiritual leaders called elders are appointed. That's healthy spiritual growth. That's spiritual growth that's healthy emotionally and spiritually as people seek the Lord. Prayer and fasting and regular spiritual disciplines. Pressures can seem unsurmountable, but the church, the family of the living God, will advance. It will. The question is, do you want to get in on that? Do we, Redeemer, want to be a part of that? It's going to require stuff of us. It's not always going to be easy, but we can be a part of this. And if you're already part of of Redeemer, you can experience more of this as you pour more into others. If you're not yet part of Redeemer or some other church like nearby where you are, Get in on this. It's amazing. It's exciting. You don't have to quit your job to be a part of it. You get to do all the things that you love doing and get to be a part of it. It's amazing. The church will advance, but only through its people. That's how the church always advances. That's how God moves his church. The church is not going to advance through programs, through events, through videos. It advances through you. Now, we might use events, we might use videos, we might use social media and, and technology and, and stuff, but without you actually doing these things, all those things are in vain. It's all in vain. Through these small steps, these are not only necessary for us. These small steps we're taking are necessary for others, and not just in our generation, but in generations to come. Think of what Redeemer will look like and the, the effects of Redeemer in 100, 200 years from now. Right now, the steps we're taking affect those people who will be living then. There was a time when, on the outside, it looked like Jesus was defeated. It looked like the dark spiritual forces of this world were victorious. But that was just the circumstance. That wasn't the reality. 
God is more powerful than all circumstances, and his mission will always advance. Jesus on the cross, God himself, dead. That's not a symbol of power. It doesn't look like anything advancing. That's a symbol of humiliation. It's, it's kind of it's disgusting. What looked like the worst defeat was turned on its head and became the biggest victory. And this is how we get through our defeat, even the defeat of death that awaits us all. Jesus won for himself a people through whom he will show his glory. These people will live the gospel in defeat and in victory. They will be resilient, not through their own power, not through their own energy or passion, through the Holy Spirit himself, God himself working through us. In defeat, we bring ourselves to Jesus. In victory, we bring ourselves to Jesus. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is true. We don't have to go alone. We can be strengthened by the living God. We can be encouraged by the living God. But only if we, and by that I mean you, me, I, we, us as Redeemer, only if we together, together, are living the gospel in defeat and victory. Paul and Barnabas Because they had spiritual resilience by living out these ways, they were able to be part of something far bigger than themselves. And the same is true for us. And this is the amazing thing about the church. We get to have God work his promises through us. God gets to work his promises through us. That's how he's going to work, through you. To those in the church, he does this. To those who aren't in the church yet, he will do that through you. So what is your next small step? Who are you going to tell? How are you going to bolster those words with actions? And if you aren't part of Redeemer, we'd love to be part of your story, if, if we aren't yet. You can go to RedeemerMCR.com live and sign up. We really want to work together as we see more people take hold and enjoy the wholeness that we get to find in God.